Before we begin today, though, let's uh, have a word of prayer as we jump into our subject. Father, thank you for the truth of these words that we were just singing. It's so amazing that we can be called children of yours, sons and daughters, ones upon whom you poured your love and affection, ones who will share an eternity with you because of your kindness and your faithfulness and because of what your son was willing to do for us on the cross. We do rejoice in you. We celebrate all the good that you do for us, the kindness, the provision in our lives. Lord, we lift up uh, any here today that are carrying some heavy burdens. Give grace for that. And we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning, this book we call the Bible that points us to what you are really like. We praise you today. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know that I am a twin. Uh, my brother and I are not identical twins, although we look so much alike, I've wondered if my parents got that part of it wrong. Uh, but we did switch classes in high school, and, and a few months ago I told you that I was able to fool my brother's new girlfriend, who was to become his wife. When I first met her, she thought I was Tom, not Tim. <clears throat> we did that on purpose. It did not make her real happy. Uh, but the most fun that we had as twins occurred when we were on our church basketball league. Now, my brother and I were the absolute worst players on the team. I'm, I'm confident that was true. Part of the reason was that we were tiny. You know, it should be like pygmy basketball or something. We were very, very short, but I can't blame it all on that. I just was horrible at basketball. I could dribble the ball. I could occasionally make a lay, layup, but it, it was really not very good. But our first night that we played another church on this league, my twin brother and I, after the game, were named most valuable players. And what happened is that our coach used the fact that we were twins to our advantage. And so when we were on the defense and when, when, they, um, when they had the ball, uh, we were told to double team whoever had the ball. And so everyone else was playing man to man, but we would double team whoever had the ball. And what would happen is one of us would show up on one side of the guy and he'd look over and see him and then turn the other direction and see the other one of us. And in a moment of confusion, like I thought you were over there, we'd steal the ball and we kept doing it. And then, uh, when it came to the offense, the other team would play man-to-man, -man, and we were told that we should just crisscross a lot. And so, whoever was guarding me uh, and my brother, we'd switch a couple times, and I, I, I heard them talking, like, which one's mine? <laughs> and uh, one of us then would be guarded by two, and the other one would be left in the open, and then we would actually make the basket if no one's watching you or we passed the ball. And so we ended up winning the game and we became the most valuable players on that evening. I don't even remember what happened the rest of the year, but I do know that it was so much wa fun watching the confusion that uh, the, the spectators on both sides began to cheer us on. I suddenly, we heard from the stands, Tim and Tom, Tim, because it was just chaos. It's like, what do we do with this? You know, there are two of them. We didn't win, of course, the game because we were so good at, at 
basketball. The reason we won the game is because our coach saw a particular advantage that he had. He saw that there was a situation that he could take advantage of to have the greatest impact. That maybe we could use this idea of these twins to do something that the other team can't do, and as a result, we ended up winning. Today, we're going to continue our series called Impact. The question we're addressing is how to have the greatest impact with our lives, and maybe more specifically within within the body of Christ, as Paul called it, the church, how to have the greatest impact and to make a difference with our lives. And last week, I talked about the fact that it is vitally important, if we want to make a difference, to be connected with other believers. That the Christian life is not to be a, a solo adventure, but it's something to be shared with other people. And as we talked about last week, the, the church is described as a body where you are one part of the body and there are other parts of the body and, and they need you and you need them and the key is being connected because if we can be connected properly, we can have a greater effect. I quoted last week from Ecclesiastes 4.9 where Solomon said two are better than one because they get a good return for their efforts. Or some versions put it, have a good reward. Well, this says good reward for their efforts or a good return. Two are better than one. I think he's talking here about synergy. The biblical math is one plus one doesn't equal two. No, it equals something more than that. After I talked about this, someone approached me last week and they said, you know, there's that other example in the Bible about how God told the Israelites that if they were faithful to him, when they were attacked by the enemy, one soldier would be able to chase a thousand of the enemy. And two would be able to chase 10,000. That's what we're talking about. You know, you would think that one could chase a thousand, two could chase two thousand, three could chase three thousand. No, one could chase a thousand, but two. If two of you are together, you'll chase ten thousand. And something happens when we are together. And I think God is able to work. We could have a greater impact. Well, today I want to talk about the impact that could take place when we identify the unique thing that we have. The special spiritual gift or ability or strengths that we have in our lives. If we could identify what those are and then employ them strategically, we could have a greater impact than if we don't know what those are. Now, today's uh, talk is mostly geared, I want to say at the front end, toward those of you that have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You know where you stand with God. If you don't know for sure where you stand with God, your first step this morning should be, from my perspective, to put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. I mean, that's, the, that's kind of the starting point, that you understand that God so loved the world that he was willing to send his son into this world who was without sin to die on a cross in your place and for the things you've done wrong and the things that I've done wrong. And Jesus died and was buried, but he rose again from the dead, and it demonstrates that the penalty and the payment that he paid on our behalf for the things we did wrong was accepted by God. That's what the resurrection means. Proves it. God accepted his sacrifice. And we are told if we'll trust Jesus to be our Savior, we will receive the free gift of eternal life that we'll be forgiven of our sin. 
Well, when you do that, when you come to a point where you realize, I, I, I can't fix my sinfulness and I need a Savior, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, a bunch of things happen. At some point, I'd like to just do a series on all the things that happen, although I'm, I'm afraid it'd be too long. A bunch of things happen the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ. One, you're forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. I'm convinced that's the case. Your debt was paid in full at the cross. When you embrace Christ, you're forgiven. Then you become a child of God. You're adopted into God's family, Paul wrote in Ephesians 1. A son and a daughter, as we just sang about. And the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, which is part of the Trinity. We believe in a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you to help you live differently. That's why it's essential if we want to live a certain way that we put our trust in Jesus. He changes us. But a fourth thing that happens when you put your trust in Jesus Christ is you receive a spiritual gift. God gives every single believer at least one, if not many, spiritual gifts. Now, what is a spiritual gift? Well, it's an enablement. Or, as the survey of Bible doctrine puts it, a spiritual gift is a God-given ability for service. Something we don't take pride in, but it's something God has given you in order to serve other people within the church, within the body of Christ. It is a role that you can play where you're needed within the body of Christ. But I'm convinced that most of us don't know what our gifts are. Now, in the Bible, there are about 23 different ones, have different numbers on these, whether it's 20, 22, 23, whatever. There are about 23 different spiritual gifts that are listed in the pages of the Bible. In a moment, we're going to look at some verses that list seven of them. These are just seven of the 23. But these are things that are given to you again when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. The lists are found in four different places in the New Testament. So if you're the type of person who takes notes, I'll just throw them out for you. The four places that I believe include all the lists that are out there, the main lists are Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 30, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. These four sections include most of the spiritual gifts that are in the Bible. I don't believe, by the way, that this is an exhaustive list. God can give us all kinds of things. But these are the four main places, Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 30, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. So as we get started, let me ask you the question, do you know what your spiritual gift is? So if you think about it for a moment, do you know what spiritual gift or gifts you have? Do you know what talents you have, what special abilities that you have that can be used to have the greatest impact? Uh, do you know where, another way to put it is, do you know where you fit within the body of Christ? What parts you fill there? Well, this morning we're going to look at some clues that are found in Romans chapter 12. My main takeaway is that with the, God, the clues that God has given to us, we can discover our spiritual gifts. Based on Romans 12, I find three main clues that if 
we have these clues, we can discover how God has gifted us. Now, I, I list them, I call them clues because um, they're not explicitly listed. Like you take this step and then this step and then this step. I find it more as you're reading it, you'll see these are clues for discovering how God has wired you, how God has gifted you, which of the gifts that you have. With that in mind, why don't you follow along as I read Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, that's your gift, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, use it in serving. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in your exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. If it's showing mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Now again, these are just seven of the gifts here. They all relate to different abilities that God has given people within the church. The seven listed here are starting with prophecy. The word means to speak forth. It refers to someone who gets a message from God and speaks forth. So throughout the pages of the Bible, you have different ones referred to as prophets. They're speaking forth for God. Not always, by the way, telling the future, but it's a message that God has for his people. Prophecy, service. There's a gift of service. This is the desire and the ability to just serve other people. You love doing that, helping other people. It's called helps in other places. And you just, you don't care who gets the credit, but you just love to get in there and you just love to serve in various ways. Teaching, that could take a variety of different forms where you're able to, to teach. There's that exhorting. That word could mean one of two things. Either exhorting has the idea in the original language of the Bible. It either has the idea of motivating people to action, like I exhort you that type of thing. Or it can be translated encouragement. We need people in the church that are just good at encouraging other people. There's a gift of giving. That's where you have both the means and the love for helping to meet needs of other people through your finances. You, you're just one who loves to give to other people. There's leading. Some of you are excellent at leadership. You just, you just people follow you. And you have a clear sight of the direction and you're able to rally resources and lead. One related closely to that one, by the way, is management. And then they're showing mercy. Someone with the gift of showing mercy is the kind of person you rejoice with those who rejoice. You re weep with those who weep. Someone with mercy is able to get in there when you're going through a hard time. And they just, they just love on you. Now, these are just seven of these gifts. These are abilities that are given to us by God. With the clues in Romans 12, I think we could decide or discern which gifts that we have. What are the clues? Or what do we need to do to discover what these are? First one is this. Paul says, prepare yourself to serve God. 
Prepare yourself or dedicate yourself to God's service might be another way to put this. Look at verses one and two again. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, therefore, by the way, is therefore a reason. It's, it's because of all that's found in chapters one through 11, because of all that God has done for you. Everything God has done for you, therefore, because all these things are true. Your God has done certain things for you. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I've heard uh, different ministers do messages on Romans 12, 1 and 2, but they did not tie it together with what comes after. This second verse here, when it talks about discerning God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, I think has to do with what comes after, which is namely spiritual gifts. Now, this demonstrates to me that it is possible for us to, to discern what God's will is for our life. I'm just making the point that the will of God in this context refers to what God wills for your life, what he wants you to be doing. It relates to the gift that he has given to you and how he wants you to use the gift. And so he's starting by saying, you offer yourself to God like a living sacrifice. Now, I recognize in our culture, we don't understand the concept of a, a living sacrifice. We don't do sacrifices. You don't sacrifice the animals. Or at least I hope you don't. I don't. But in, in biblical times, of course, they did. In biblical times, in the Old Testament law, they would offer all kinds of animals as sacrifices. And even the pagan nations offered animals as sacrifices. You wonder, by the way, where that comes from or why they were required to do that. It was actually to point to Jesus who would one day shed his blood for us. I've been asked on occasion, you know, how did people in the Old Testament get right with God if Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet and their sins weren't forgiven? How did they get right with God? Well, they exercised the same faith we do, only their faith was displayed through this sacrifice that pointed to Jesus. They killed an animal and shed its blood. It died in their place for their sin. And then Jesus began his public ministry, and the first words out of John's mouth is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in the Old Testament, they were looking ahead to the day when God would send his son to be our savior. We look behind when Jesus actually died on the cross, but it was by faith. But I understand we don't, we don't sacrifice animals, and yet he says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. So what is he talking about? Well, the main issue there is that when you offered a sacrifice in the Old Testament, it had to be without any blemishes. It, had to be, it was a sacrifice that was holy. The, the idea of holy means set apart. A scholar by the name of Utley puts it this way. The term holy means set apart for God's service. The focus of this term in this context is on the believer's consecration and availability to be used by God for his purposes. To offer ourselves holy and set apart for God in this context means don't let the age in which you live turn you off track. Isn't that what he says basically in verse 2? He says, Don't, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed or changed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll discern what is the good, 
pleasing and perfect will of God. Here's bringing it all together. This is what I think we're supposed to do. We say, God, I offer myself up to you as a holy sacrifice. I do not offer myself up to the age in which I live. I do not offer myself up to the things of this world. And I think implied with this, by the way, are the very sins that we maybe would cherish. We don't want, we want an offering that is wonderful that you'd offer to God. In the Old Testament, there was a story that was given about how somebody wanted to bring a, a lamb to the king to offer, but it was, it was damaged in a sense. What earthly king would love it if you brought one of your horrible lambs? I mean, one that was the least and the most feeble and the one who had issues. And you say, well, king, I offer you this. You'd look at it and say, That's, I'm not real pleased with that. I think what we're reading here is you offer yourself to God. I, I, I dedicate myself to you. Whatever it is you have for me, I do not dedicate myself to these other things. So prepare yourself to serve God is what I think it relates to. Number two, second clue is to observe with humility. Or another way this could have been worded and maybe better would be humbly search for it. Asking God about it, what is it? Humbly searching for it. But I think humility matters. Look at verse 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly or reasonably as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. In other words, be realistic about the gift that you have. Here's what happens sometimes. I think we want the gifts or abilities that other people have. And sometimes I think we convince ourselves that we have it. I want this gift real badly. I probably have that gift. The truth of the matter is sometimes we don't have the gift we think we have. Paul's saying, have some humility about this. Several years ago, I think it was about 1988, a number of the student groups on campus uh, who were Christian groups decided to do a talent show. And so we had a group called WVU Bible Studies that was associated with the church, and all of our groups came together to put on this talent show, and the talent show was going to be shown in the, what I think was the gold ballroom at the Lair, the student union at WVU. And so we show up this night for this talent event, and there were hundreds of people sitting there in the audience, and of course, different ones went up and showed their talents, whether it was singing, or I think somebody read poetry, there might have even been magic. I don't remember what the various ones were, but at one point, a guy walked up on the stage, and he walked over to the piano and sat down. And um, I knew the guy. He, he wasn't in our student group, but I knew him, and I'd met him on several occasions, and I thought, wow, I'm going to see what he's what his talent is, and he sat down and began to play, and my, my thought was, that's really good. I mean, he's, he's really, really good on the piano. And then he began to sing. Oh, my. I, I, I didn't want to laugh. I was trying my hardest. The guy was both sharp and flat, and he went back and forth between the octaves. That was the thing that struck me as funny because he'd start down, la da, and then he'd all of a sudden be in the next octave. And it, it just struck me as funny. And so I'm sitting there going, Lord, help me. I'm trying. 
I was sitting like two-thirds of the way back, maybe three-quarters of the way back, so I was praying that he couldn't see me, but I was doing my best, and I wasn't laughing. And then all of a sudden, the guy next to me started shaking. And I looked over at him, and he is covering his mouth, and he was laughing. He was shaking up and down, and, and I, that was it. I was done. I started laughing, and I was crying. I mean, I just, just once, sometimes when the floodgates open, you just can't close it. And, and I was weeping. I was just laughing. I was covering my face. I was praying he couldn't see me. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. Sometimes things are just funny. You can't do anything about it, and that's what it was. And I, I, I believe that I prayed, Lord, please help him be done soon. You know, and I prayed, I did pray too that I wouldn't run into him afterwards because what do you say? I mean, the only line I came up with in my mind was, oh, I didn't know you played the piano. I can't, I couldn't even touch the singing thing, you know. And, and then he was finally done and I said, oh, thank you, Lord, type of thing. And then he said, for my second number. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. I lost it. I was crying, you know. I, I was so red-faced. I'm positive that I looked, I mean, I'm sure like 15 minutes later, it was just obvious, boy, you really lost it there. I thought, though, that night, and I've thought many times since, why did nobody from your group love you enough to tell you don't? To say, you can't sing. You know, it's like American Idol where the people really get, they really think they can sing and they go there and then they're just, when, they, when the judges think, like, you can't sing, they just can't accept it. Like, what? You know, they were, you know, ready to cut an album or something and, and, and the, the judges are sitting there laughing. It was exactly the same kind of thing. But nobody loved them enough to tell them, listen, this isn't your thing. And I think we need people in our lives that can do that. This is not your thing. Paul says, you have some humility about this. You know, be reasonable or realistic. He says, you evaluate this thing realistically. That's what he's saying here. You evaluate this. So you dedicate yourself to God. Say, okay, here I am. I'm yours. And you transform me, by the way. Earlier, he talked about changing our minds. I think as we offer ourselves to God... And as we stay close to God and his word and his people, God begins to change even our thinking. He begins to change us in ways that we see more clearly what his will is for our lives. We offer ourselves to God. We have a humility about it. Lord, I'm humbly seeking what this might be. But then the last point relates to last week's message. Remain connected to the body. The rest of the body remain connected because I think your gift is intended to fit into the rest of the body, and it doesn't make much sense apart from it sometimes. For example, I know this is a gross thought, a gross image, I understand that, but if you were walking along and you came across a little toe, it would take you a little time to figure out what on earth is that? But if you saw it attached to the foot, there'd be no mystery. It makes sense when it's attached, but when it's by itself, it doesn't make sense, which is why argument last week, stay attached. Parts of the body die when they're not attached, so stay attached. But I'm saying, 
If you want to discover what your gift is, stay connected. And so he begins to launch in verse 4. He says, now we have many parts in one body, or we have one body and that has many different parts, and all the parts don't have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And then he begins to list the gifts. He's saying, I believe, that it's discovered within the context of the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ that confirms this thing. Now, the physical bodies, I think, have, tend to have a corresponding spiritual gift associated with the parts of the body. You know, the eye, for example, some have suggested that if you had a gift of prophecy, it relates to seeing. You can see the eyes or the ears, being able to really hear from God, or the mouth might relate to a teaching gift, or the hands might relate to a serving gift, or you have feet. We have feet. You know, Paul quoted from the Old Testament, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. We're parts of the body, and the parts of the body correspond with a function within the body of Christ. But I'm suggesting here today that we need other people to help us understand what it is. I would suggest even into your community groups, your small groups, to maybe do an exercise, to go around and say, what is this person over here, okay? What is their thing? What are they good at? Well, you know, they're so encouraging. They're always encouraging, you know? Oh, everyone else would say the same thing. You realize, of course, everyone sees it, but the person lots of times. Like, whatever, whatever it is about us, the good and the bad, oftentimes everyone else can see it. We're the ones that can't. That's why we need other people. And so I'm just suggesting we need other people if we want to discover what our gifts are. So the three clues I see here are one, in, in order to discover your gifts, dedicate yourself to God. Two, humbly be open. And I think this could also relate to prayer. But with humility, say, Lord, what is it? Show me the gift you have for me. And then three, stay connected with the body of Christ. Maybe even ask, you know, what is it? What, is, what, do, you, what do you see that is my thing? This isn't something, by the way, you're, again, you're proud about. It's a gift. It was something that was given to you by God. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And so there's no pride in it being able to acknowledge, well, I feel I have this gift. There's, that's not pride. But in order to know if we have an accurate assessment, it might be, or a humble assessment, it's probably good to have other people around us. Now, two other things that you could do if you want to discover your spiritual gifts. One is to, to study the references I gave earlier. Just look at the different gifts and pray about them and think about them. And the second thing is that if you go to our website, the church website, and type in the, the search box there, spiritual gifts, you'll come to a spiritual gift assessment. It's just a kind of a test that you can take. At the very least, that thing would reveal what you love or what you feel is true about you. Again, I think it helps if other people confirm it. And there are others of these online. I want to encourage us, though, to take serious the, the idea of having a greater impact by knowing what it is. Instead of going through our entire Christian walk without having any clue how God has wired us and how God might want to use us in ways to have a greater impact. And all of this matters, by the way, because 
if we could operate again as a body, one body that's hitting on all cylinders where every part is doing its part, imagine the impact we could have together. I think it could be amazing. And I think the world needs a church like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've loved us enough to impart a gift to us, if not many gifts. I think how Paul perhaps had all the spiritual gifts. And Lord, you have gifted us in different ways. Help us to discover what that gift is or those gifts are. We want to have a heart, O oh Lord, to de devote ourselves to you, dedicate ourselves to you, set apart, not conformed to the age in which we live, but ones who are conformed to you. And give us, O oh Lord, the sight to see how you've made us, how you've designed us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.